The History of the Holy Roman Empire, Rome Before Charlemagne, Part 2, The Rise of the Franks. Now, the descendants of Clovis were largely weak and degenerate kings who did little to enhance or strengthen the Frankish kingdom. Of Clovis's sons, some were said to have buried men alive in punishment. Under Clovis, however, the empire had adopted certain Roman laws and customs and placed local provinces under mayors, who were themselves like regional governors to the king. This would be advantageous to the Franks, for when the kings became weak and incompetent, the good mayors were able to build up what the kings were tearing down. By the 7th century, several mayors were clearly stronger and better respected than the Frankish kings. Charles Martel, dubbed the Hammer, was the illegitimate son of one of those mayors in the Eastern Frankish Empire. For this reason, or more likely this excuse, that his hereditary right to the mayor's office was challenged. Martel was forced to defend his position by war against his enemies, including King Chilpric II and Ratbod. In 719, King Chilpric was defeated and Charles Martel was accepted as mayor of the eastern provinces. The king was now incompetent to do anything against Martel, whose power steadily rose. Martel reunified much of the Frankish kingdom that had fallen into disarray. Despite Martel's successes in the Frankish Empire, it was his intervention against the Muslim threat from Spain that significantly drew the attention of the Roman Pope. For many years, the Islamic invaders had tried desperately to get a foothold in Europe. If the Muslims were to conquer Europe as they hoped, then they would have to have a solid base of operations on the continent to which they could retreat, regroup, fortify, and rally. Nonetheless, Europe seemed a fortress. The second Roman capital of Constantinople blocked the eastern passage to Europe and was perhaps the greatest fortress ever built. The Muslims were never able to conquer it until the 15th century and then needed artillery. It might have been possible to travel the long route up through modern Russia, but in order to pass through there, they needed to pass between the Black Sea and the Caspian Sea, which was dominated by the Khazar Empire. This left only Italy and Spain as possible bases. The Muslims would try for many centuries to gain a sufficient base in Italy, but were never able to hold one for long. Spain was their best choice. The Muslims had crossed into Europe via Spain, and established their base of operations, but it was not solid as a base as they once hoped. The north of Spain lay in the Pyrenees Mountains, which effectively cut Spain off from the rest of Europe. The Muslim Saracens decided to march their massive army across the Pyrenees and move into Italy. If successful, the Saracens could have gained a true foothold in Europe. This was the backdrop to Charles Martel's intervention. When he heard that the Muslims were moving towards Italy, he decided to act, despite the fact they, were never, they never attacked Frankish territory. Martel would meet the army at the Battle of Poitiers in 732, actually known as the Battle of Tours, and forever halt the expansion of Islam into Europe. The victory by Charles Martel cannot be underestimated, and certainly no one in Rome underestimated it. Never again would the Muslims reach far into Europe, and the popes in particular took notice. The Franks had done what the emperor could not. While Rome and Italy were plagued by the Lombards, Charles Martel was crushing the army of the greatest empire on earth at the time. The Islamic dynasty of that day was in the golden age of Islam. Europe, by contrast, was little more than half-civilized barbarians, but Martel proved that this was about to change. The previous year, Pope Gregory II had died, and Gregory III was now, now decided that the emperor was unreliable. The Lombards had conquered the Ravenna Exarchate and again threatened Rome. 
Gregory sent an embassy to Charles Martel and offered him both the title of patrician and consul of Rome if he would liberate Italy from the Lombards. Ironically, both men died the same year shortly before they were able to reach a final agreement. It was two years later when Pope Zacharias resumed negotiations with Martel's son and the father of Charlemagne, Pepin the Short. In 737, the Merovingian king of the Franks had died, leaving no heirs. Since the kings had been so unpopular, no attempt was made to find an immediate replacement, and the mayors, led by Charles Martel, continued to function as the effective government of the Franks. When Martel died, his kingdom was divided between his two sons, Pepin the Short and Carloman. After the death of Martel and the division of the land, the politicians finally decided upon a new king, and Childric III was named that king. But he was a king with no true authority. Childric was little more than a figurehead. Then in 747, Carloman grew tired of politics and retired as mayor to become a monk. This left Pepin the Short as mayor of all that had been his father's. In Italy, the death of Martel forced the new pope, Zacharias, to negotiate with the Lombards. Temporary peace had been established, but when the king of the Lombards died in 743, the new king resumed its policy of aggression, expecting no help from Rome's own emperor in Constantinople. Zacharias began to negotiate with Pepin. Politics and long distances between countries kept the final terms from being agreed upon until many years later. But finally, Zacharias agreed to depose Childric III and sanction Pepin's ascension to the Frankish throne. Although Pepin was already king in all but name, he wanted the name just the same. In 751, Pepin was crowned by Boniface, the Apostle of Germany. With the Pope's blessing, the last of the Merovingian kings was then replaced by a new line of Carolingians from the name Carlos or Charles. When the coronation was over, Pepin kept his promise to Zacharias and rode out to Italy. The Lombards were beaten into submission and backed off their aggressive stance. No real conquest was made, but the Lombards learned that Pepin was Rome's protector and promised no further hostilities. Despite this, it was no more than a year later before the Lombards recovered from their defeat and again brutalized the Roman subjects. Pope Stephen IV, Zacharias died in 754, urged Pepin to make another campaign and even dared to promise Pepin salvation if he would help. When Pepin did not take the promise of salvation literally, he was loyal to the Christians who viewed the Pope with respect. He again took the field, even though Stephen had promised him nothing except salvation, which was not his, of course, to give. This time Pepin conquered a large section of northern Italy. This conquest brought the immediate attention of the emperor, Constantine V, who had been so quiet throughout the years of the Lombard oppression. He objected that Pepin had invaded the Roman Empire and demanded an explanation. Pepin's response is significant. He declared to the emperor of the east that he did not invade the land but liberated it out of love for the church. Pepin promised that none of the conquered land would be kept by the Franks, but he would instead donate all the territory to the church. To this, Constantinople offered no objections and the land was passed from Pepin to Pope Stephen IV. It has been alleged that the donation of Pepin was inspired by a forged document, the donation of Constantine. This donation of Constantine alleges that Constantine the Great had himself bequeathed virtually all the land of Italy to the church and was accepted as genuine for centuries, despite the fact that its first appearance in history occurred at this convenient time. Whether or not Pepin had, was truly fooled by the document is unknown, as is whether or not the document even existed at the time, but Pepin's motives should not be doubted. Pepin received the Roman title of patrician, signifying the Franks' importance to Rome. 
Frankish Empire was a, was already a federat of the Roman Empire, and its king was now patrician. After seeing Pepin's generosity in Italy, and with the East preoccupied, even the Emperor of Constantinople had no ex objections. Franks were the per Lord Protectors of Italy, and its king was already virtual emperor in the West. Not 50 years later, Pepin's son Charlemagne would become the first Western emperor since Romulus Augustulus. Not more than five decades from this time, history would change forever. Now, I need to point out a couple of things about Martel and the Muslims. The Muslims indeed marched north towards Tours. And this, of course, was the excuse that Martel used to rally all of the Franks to defend the sacred site and, of course, the main stop on the pilgrimage to Santiago de Compostela. And as the Franks were moving down, of course, Charles Martel is also responsible for changing the way the Franks fought. Frequently, they would ride to a combat and dismount. He created not just infantry, but used heavy cavalry. The Muslims had reached a point where they believed they were overextended, and this idea they were going to go to Italy probably at this point, no longer existed because of the logistics. And they were in the process of withdrawing. And near Poitiers, well south of Tours, Martel hit their rear guard and destroyed them and then chased the rest of the army back into, into Iberia. It doesn't really become Spain until later on, but it was Iberia at that particular time. And they never crossed the Pyrenees again, although Charlemagne and others will cross periodically to keep them under control. So the account that I'd given you from some information that I had, one of my, one of my books, a little too optimistic of the Muslims crossing southern France and heading into northern Italy. You can just look at it yourself, logistically, how easy it would be for any number of groups to cut their supply lines. Now the sources for this, this is Religion and the Holy Roman Empire by Ferguson, Before France and Germany by Gary, the Oxford History of Medieval Europe by Holmes, The Papal Encyclopedia by Bunsen, The Capetian Kings of France, 987-1328 by Butler and Adams, French History, Volume 1 by Guizot, Barbarian Invasions by Delbruck, Early Germans by Todd, and The Rise and Fall of the Holy Roman Empire by Criswell. So I hope you enjoyed that, and as always, don't forget to come by the website, summahistorica.com or historyaccordingtobob.com, and ask a question, leave a comment, check out our merchandise, and if you like what we're doing, please feel free to support us. Thank you very much.